Tonight, if you turn your Bibles to the 13th chapter here of the book of Revelation, as we continue with Paul and the apostles and all of those who had gone before John is the culmination of the world's history gets laid out before us. John is looking back as he writes from the island of Patmos, but he's looking back towards those things which have already been spoken and the truths contained in Uh, This amazing book really uh, illuminate to some degree uh, some things that the Apostle Paul had talked to us about. He'd reminded us that one day uh, God's wrath would be poured out on this earth, but we didn't have to worry about that because we were going to be spared from that wrath. Amen? And so sometimes people get so concerned about these particular chapters that we're now entering into because we're, we're getting to the tougher things, the more difficult things. But they're also, for the body of Christ, hopeful things, enlightening things, encouraging things, in the sense that uh, we have a mission to undertake while we're here on this earth. And no time like the present, as we look at what's said next, as John unveils for us this beast out of the sea, And a message tonight, release the beast. And so chapter 13, verses 1 to 10, and let's pray and ask God to speak uh, through his word. Father, we have again just gathered as your kids, as your children, as your church, as your body, Lord, to hear your voice and to have you speak to us. And Father, pray that there be no one gripped with fear tonight. Pray that there wouldn't be uh, those who are, are simply hearing these things and Becoming worried, Lord, because the truth of the matter is to believe on your name, Lord Jesus, is to be saved. And so there's no reason for concern because the truth is you came that all men might be set free from the bondage of sin and death. And so, God, that which awaits the unbelieving world, we do not need to worry about because we can change that right tonight if we don't already know you. And so, God, bless us. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we begin to see the Antichrist and his plans unfold before us. And this is a a being that we've already met, but now his true colors uh, come into play. And we see the differentiation uh, between the first half of his reign, the second half of his reign, and, and now he's going to continue... For the final 42 months of of this that we call the tribulation, the last half being the great tribulation, and all of a sudden we see what seems almost inconceivable to us. Remember that some things in the book of Revelation were purposely symbolic so that they would stay relevant no matter what culture, uh, what time period they were spoken of, that there would be a way for us to understand them properly. And that is this passage tonight. And so it says there in verse 1, I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. And I'll show you in a moment that we know exactly what this particular sea is. It's not a literal ocean. It is the sea of humanity. We use that phrase uh, still today quite widely, quite broadly, having seven heads and ten horns. And so there will be leadership uh, for this beast that will be in place when this beast arise. Uh, it will have seven heads and ten horns. There will be 
In other words, seven of these kingdoms that would rise up. There will be ten horns. There will be ten leaders uh, within what I believe is the seventh horn. And on on his horns, ten crowns. And so there will be a very definite crowned leadership. People that we could look at and say that's the president. That's the king of that kingdom. And on his head's a blasphemous name. And now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. And so we begin to have uh, these pictures of these animals. And it's interesting because the prophet Daniel has already spoken to us about this same group of animals. And so we have some easily uh, discernible ways to, to find out who these are. And his feet were like the feet of a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a great lion. And the dragon gave him his power. We know who the dragon is. That's none other than Satan. So this cannot be Satan empowering Satan. This has to be Satan and someone else, someone who works for Satan. And so easily seen as his emissary, one who would carry out his his plan. And his throne and great authority. And so remember that Satan, as he unfolded his plans, even before Jesus said, I will give you all of these kingdoms, the kingdoms of the earth, if you'll simply bow down and worship me. And so we're speaking of the kingdoms of the earth, and we're speaking of the power of the enemy, which he currently has over this earthly world that we currently live on. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. Now, it's important to recognize, and we'll highlight these things in a few moments, it's important to recognize that all the things that God has done, Satan generally, at least in some way, attempts to mimic. And so it's going to make sense to us that this beast who rises out of the sea of humanity, who will come along and be a world ruler, a world leader, this global answer to the world's problems, uh, we're going to see that he will also do many of the things, at least look like he's done many of the things uh, that the Lord has done, that God has done. His deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. Sometimes we say, well, I can't happen. You know, the world's not going to do that. The world's followed after beastly people for a long, long, long time have examples of them in our world even today. Uh, we don't have to look back very far into our history. Uh, you can think of some, some people that have recently left this earth. Uh, Muammar Gaddafi would be one of those beastly people. Idi Amin in Uganda. Uh, there have been rulers all over the African continent. Joseph Kony, responsible for the deaths of maybe two million people in sub-Saharan Africa. You can go back to the Second World War, Adolf Hitler, Benito Mussolini. You can look back to to China, Mao Zedong. You can look at Kim Jong-il. You can look at what's going on in North Korea. You can see that there are crazy people with crazy ideas. You would think no one would follow them. And yet people by the millions follow absolutely insane, satanically inspired people. And it's actually quite easy to see why. Because they actually believe that those people have something to offer. And so it makes complete sense in our world when we now are reaching a time uh, in human history to where the world is, is for the first time 
truly seeking global answers to global problems. And this has really only come into view since World War II. When you think back to the world as it was, even at World War I, at the turn of the 19th, turn of the 20th century, 1915, 1917, if you look at the world at that time, uh, the, the world had no real picture of globalism at that time. There were certain countries that had a global reach, the U.S. being one of them, but largely there were not the things that are going on in our world until really after the Second World War. And we'll see that clearly. Israel itself became a nation shortly after the Second World War, uh, a scant 70 years ago. And so we have this world that now is actively seeking these globalist solutions. And so they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worship the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? When people sell out to their believed solution to the world's problems, they become rabid about it. And if you don't believe that, a look at climate change, a.k.a. global warming and all that's going on. People who are rabidly engaged in that, and I am not trying to talk about the merits of whether there is or is not human-caused global warming, because that's without contest. There is some human effort, human endeavor that's caused some of the problems that exist. But there are people who are so rabid about it Uh, that they have lost their collective minds to the point of they would rather that parts of the world starve to death than we actually solve the problem. And so people do become engaged in their own personal belief that something needs to be done. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And it's interesting to link those two things together. And it appears from the original language that part of this is truth. In other, in other words, there's truth to this globalist agenda. These things that have a, a, a problem that we could look at it, we could say that that problem uh, really is something a whole world should concern itself with. And so there's some truth, and it's mixed obviously with a lie, the blasphemy. That's how the enemy works. Very rarely does the enemy ever outright tell you a lie. The enemy tells you a partial truth, and then tells you a lie, generally speaking. There'll be something you say, oh yeah, well, so you get engaged in the, in the thought processes, the conversation, and then drops the blasphemous bomb on you, so to speak. And he was given authority, it says there in the middle of verse 5, to continue for 42 months. And so there you can see that there are three and a half more years that this globalist leader, who's now come on the scene, who we have seen the war in heaven that's resulted in the war on earth, and now this leader rises up, and it becomes very clear it, it's a one-man show. The Antichrist is ruling the entire world at this time, and he opened up his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and those who dwell in heaven And so you can tell this is a direct onslaught against God's character, God's people, and God's way of doing things. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. You need to underline that word overcome because we are, as the church, overcomers. Amen? 
And Jesus said about us that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And so this cannot be speaking of the church itself. But it is speaking of believers. Those believers came to Christ and were not martyred and are still on the earth. And so they are the saints from the tribulation, likely most of them the Jewish people. And so they're overcome, at least some of them, or there is an attempt to do so. And authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so you can begin to see that this new ruler who's on the scene, who is a warring leader, has control basically of the entire world, and he is now inflicting his leadership on the world, to all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life or blotted out from the book of life of the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. This is the good news. Remember who wins in the end, amen? God always leaves us with glimpses of hope during this time of tribulation. That there is an answer. You see saints that are having a rough time, but you also seeing them, uh, see them as ultimately victors. And he who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. And here is patience and the faith of the saints. And so we see this unleashing of the beast as he comes up out of the sea. Interesting, back in 1947, then Belgium's premier, Paul-Henri Charles Spock, uh, made a statement, and, and he began, he's a Belgian socialist, and during that time, uh, the rise of socialism, if you know anything about your world history, you had competing socialist view, Karl Marx being one of them, uh, ultimately, communism is, would come out of socialism. That's the root, uh, if you will, of, of communism is socialism. And so as, as they're working through these things, he would go on to become the president of the United Nations Assembly. And so this is a very influential man at the time. He made this statement in a Belgian newspaper. He says, the truth is that the method of international committees has failed. What we need is a person, someone of the highest order, of great energy. Let him come and let him come quickly. Whether a civilian or a military man, no matter what his nationality, who will cut all the red tape, shove it out of the way of all the committees, wake up all the people, and galvanize all governments into unified action. Let him come quickly. This man we need and for whom we wait And we will take charge of the defense of the West. And once more I say it's not too late, but it is high time. It was 1947. The world began to look towards a single ruler who would take charge of the mess that is our world. The world is radically waiting. The world has rejected by and large the Prince of Peace. As much as we would like to think that this world... Uh, is a Christian nation. This world is far from a Christian nation. It's not remotely a, a Christian world, if you will. And certainly, we're not even a Christian country anymore. 
If you know your history, most of the, uh, the European continent now is post-Christian. If anything, they're agnostic. They believe that they're too intelligent to believe that there is a God and that God has anything to do with mankind. If he is a supreme being and does exist, he basically wound up the world, set it spinning, and took his hands off it and said, you know, whatever. And so the world is ready for these global solutions. We look at our, our world as we see it today. You talk about tenuous. You watch the stock market in the last month or so. It's insane. We have oil prices that have dropped. Uh, they're getting close to what they were in the 1980s which is causing the devaluation of virtually everything in the world. Saudi Arabia, OPEC is promising not to uh, reduce output, and so we have that bearing down on our economy here in this country. And so you hear the voices. People go, well, we need to take control of these things. There needs to be a world oil market. Not just a, an Arab nation oil market. There needs to be a world oil market. And Russia can get in and China can get in. And OPEC can, can be part of it as well. You know, we're, the world's too interconnected now. In many ways, the world is exactly that. It is too interconnected. Can I remind you that we had this problem once before? And God dealt with it. You know it as the Tower of Babel. The world got together and said, look, we're going to build a tower unto God. And God's response was they've become so interconnected and so organized that I'm going to scatter them to the corners of the world and I'm going to confuse their languages so they cannot communicate one with another we're starting to head back the other way. And in fact, we've come a long ways in doing so. The power behind this man from Isaiah 14 and from Ezekiel 28 is none other than Satan himself. And as I said, he has a counterfeit uh, personality. He, he attempts to mimic, to look like uh, that he himself is in control Satan is the counterfeit, and John spoke of this already when we were in chapter 12. Remember, he who deceives, it says there in verse 9 of chapter 12, the whole world is cast out to the earth. So he's not just going to deceive part of the world like he's doing right now. It's going to get so bad that the entire world, everyone who's left here, remember the church is gone, the influence of the Holy Spirit in the church is no longer here, and Satan is left to deceive. Do what he does. Satan disguises himself. Remember, he, he came and has come at times as an angel of light. He says, look, follow me. I'm a good guy. I'm not a bad guy, I'm a good guy. And so God having God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that Hebrew word Elohim, which El is God singular, Eloah means two or more, and Elohim is plural. Uh, more than 2,200 times in your Bible when you see the name God, it's the Hebrew equivalent of Elohim. 
God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Not some power source, but the Holy Spirit, God. Not not some likeness of God, but God the Son, God incarnate in human flesh. A trinity, a holy trinity. Satan has his unholy trinity. He is the unholy father. Nowhere near as powerful as God, but he's kind of the the planner, if you will. Much like we can look at Father God's plans before the foundation of the world to send his only begotten son into the world, that the world through him would be saved. We can see the Antichrist now with this pseudo-resurrection that's in this chapter. He looks like he has a mortal wound. He looks like he's going to die. And it even seems as though he actually appears to be dead. And yet he's going to be raised back up. And next week we'll see the false prophet. And that false prophet becomes really the messenger, the Holy Spirit, the unholy spirit, if you will. This beast rises out of the sea of human government. And if you look, you can turn ahead a little bit to chapter 17. uh, And we see this point very, very clearly found in verse 1. We see it stood on the sand of the sea. And we see this beast rising up out of the sea in chapter 17, verse 15. And the waters which you saw. In other words, you saw means past tense, already have seen. The waters that you saw are... Where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. In other words, it's telling us that this picture we have in chapter 13 is the sea of humanity. This beast is going to rise out. He's going to be one of us, in essence, if it were to happen today. We don't see him as an actual beast. It's not like Godzilla pops up out of the ocean and... You know, does this fire thing. It's not that at all. Matter of fact, I happen to be of the mindset that the Antichrist will be uh, likely a very uh, likable, powerful, charismatic, probably a handsome guy uh, that people will look at and go, yeah, what's a, who, why wouldn't we follow him? Outwardly, you look like a man. We ask ourselves the question, how can people fall for this? People embraced Hitler. People believed Hitler was the savior of the world. That's why the German people nearly followed him to their own extinction. He was a very, very, very popular guy. Now multiply times the entire world. You have somebody that comes in. Think for a moment... When we speak of the Antichrist, think for a moment, if this guy popped on the world scene today, ask yourself some simple questions. Would a global ruler with global solutions to global problems, would that person be popular today? I can tell you emphatically the answer is yes. If someone came on the scene and they had a legitimate, not like our presidential campaign right now. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I, I'm not getting it, okay? Well, we're just going to make America great again. Well, what does that mean? 
somebody coming on the scene that actually has solutions to what ails the world. A way to bring all of the world together. A way to solve the religious divides. Can you imagine if someone had a solution to bring together Christians, apparently Christians, and Buddhists, and Muslims, and Hindus? Right there, you have three quarters of the world's population. And you could bring them together and have them dwell in peace. Imagine somebody comes along and all of a sudden the answer to this fluctuating uh, world currency, right now it's still the dollar, amen? But it's come close to being the yuan. It was the yen for a while. We've had several hits and misses to where it looks like, well, the U.S. dollar, it was the euro for a while. Remember when the euro was actually a little more valuable than the dollar? People go, well, maybe we should make the world's currency the euro. Now imagine somebody comes on the scene and actually has a plan to equalize the world's monetary system. It's going to be very, very popular. And consequently, these four heads that we see here, this beast actually, uh, or excuse me, the seven heads, this beast actually has... Uh, seven of them is not, again, not literally, but symbolically speaking, and I believe it's speaking of world empires. And notice again in chapter 17, looking forward, uh, we see a, a little glimpse of this again. And here is the mind, which is wisdom, the seven heads or the seven mountains. So we're actually told that these are linked to other things uh, that we can understand, on which the woman sits, and there also there are seven kings, and five have fallen, one is, and one has yet to come, and when he comes, he must continue only for a short time. These are world kingdoms. This, this, these are rulers of nations. You begin to see how the world is... Is, is already shaping up. And if you look at our world's history, at the time when John wrote these things, you had five of these world kingdoms that were very, very, very clear. You had the Egyptian, the Assyrians, Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, and the Grecian empires. They had all come and gone. Their time had come. They had reached their apex, their zenith. They're gone. At the time when John wrote, Rome was the world power. Interestingly enough, of all of those empires, all six of them, all great world empires, amen? The Romans were never defeated. They just kind of faded into non-existence. They didn't have a major collapse. They just became irrelevant. And in fact, about 400 A.D., Emperor Constantine did guess what? Made Christianity the world's religion. You know it is Roman Catholicism. And so to some degree, that influence of that final world kingdom exists today through the influence of that Roman system of religion. And I want to be really careful here, not trying to bash the Roman Catholic Church. I'm simply drawing a point 
that in that Roman system still exists the remnant of the old Roman Empire. And guess where it's headquartered? Uh, That would be Rome. It's called the Holy See. It's actually its own city. It's also the most wealthy city on earth per capita. They have something on the order of one-third of the world's gold reserves. So there is still powerful influence, especially in Europe and South America. And so there is a remnant left of the Roman Empire. What does that last world kingdom look like? Check out these horns. Daniel gives us a little insight into this in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel tells us his last world Gentile kingdom is actually the seventh head, and it will be a confederation of ten horns. And so you see there are six that have come and gone, the Roman Empire being one of them. Their seventh one will come. And Daniel tells us it's interesting because the Roman Empire was the Iron Empire. And that heel of iron that was Rome never completely ceased to exist. And Daniel says it's going to be iron mixed with clay. So it's going to be kind of hard and kind of soft. And he says, of that seventh head, there will be a federation of ten horns. What have we been hearing about the world for the last roughly 70 years? We need to have some kind of organization that governs the world. And the general consensus is... It should be something like a ten-nation group. The EU started out, uh, grew to ten, went past tens, coming back towards ten. But there are several other organizations that have existed that bring this uh, into place for us. That federation of nations that would rise up and be a remnant of what happened during the Roman Empire. The world's going to come together, coalesce around it. The Club of Rome, which began back in April of 1968, a group of ten countries gathered together in Rome, uh, claimed to have solutions. Uh, That club gathered together and in 1973 produced a document called the Regionalized and Adaptive Model for the Global World System. In that, the document provided for the division of the entire world into guess how many divisions? Am I trying to say that's it? Not necessarily. I'm trying to show you that the world itself has been aching for this exact model for quite some time. We already have, whether you know it or not, a world constitution. That world constitution drafted by the World Constitution and Parliament Association. Uh, Wonderful. Colorado gets another flower in their bonnet. Professor Philip Isley, his wife Margaret, Denver, Colorado, created a constitution for the Federation of the Earth to promote democratic world government under that constitution back in 1958. In 1950, the Council on Foreign Relations, it's then a member, council member, uh, James Warburg said this in addressing Our Senate Foreign Relations Committee here in this country, 
we shall have a world government, whether you like it or not, either by conquest or by consent. The world's been looking for global solutions because we do, in fact, have global problems. Many of you have heard of the International Monetary Fund. How many of you know that on April 13th of 2010, uh, the world almost adopted a currency called the Bancor? You would actually have global currency. It's not hype, it's not rumor. It was a very serious proposal, it was put forth and nearly came to pass. The IMF, as we know it, uh, made it very, very clear that this monetary system would replace all currencies throughout the entire world. Most of you don't realize, but as your funds are transferred back and forth, you know that little ATM card that you have with the chip in it, uh, everything funnels through. Uh, the, the International Bank in London, so the LIBOR index, the London International or the London Overnight International Bank Rate, uh, as those funds are transferred in and out. In, in essence, it's all electronic. In case you don't know, there ain't no gold to back up your dough. <laughs> you can go to Fort Knox and you go, "Wow, that's empty." Of course, you can see very easily the EU, the European Union, the United Nations, all on this same path. We have come close multiple times to relinquishing our sovereign rights as a nation to the United Nations. We're a member of NATO. Sometimes our troops in theater end up taking, uh, in essence, orders from someone who's not somebody in our government for that very reason. And so the Antichrist will rise up and he'll rule over this ten-nation confederacy. And all of these things that have been floating around now for roughly 70 years or so, they're still out there. That's not to freak you out. Do your own study. Google that stuff. Not a joke. People that don't have would like to have. And they like to take it from people that do have. And when you're talking on a global scale, that would be all y'all. Because <laughs> we live better than the rest of the whole rest of the world. That's why we're generally disliked throughout the world. Doesn't mean universally, but in a general sense. People, it's like, well, you know, it's rotten Americans. I mean, they got Yosemite, the Grand Canyon, and the cash. Think about the things that we're facing right now and how welcome this type of a ruler would be. How about the proliferation of nuclear weapons to, to countries like Iran and Pakistan and North Korea? You don't think the whole world wouldn't like to shut that down? We're not doing it anymore. We used to. It's not us. But all the human rights violations, especially, especially on the African continent. It is mind-boggling the death and destruction that's happened in Africa in the last 20 to 30 years. Tens of millions of people have lost their lives in what's 
promoted to be, or purported to be rather, you know, tribal warfare. It's not tribal warfare. It's generally Islam against Christians. You could solve that by having a one world religion and saying, oh no, you can't do that anymore. Climate change, global warming, the, the things that are going on right now in our world that people are just, they're just howling about. The fact that you've got to buy those $75 LED light bulbs now because they're mandated here in California, that's all the same deal. And there are those that want to make that worldwide. And just so you know, if you've got a Prius, I love you. But I ain't getting one. I like saving fuel. That's for sure. But when I want to tow something, you can't do it with a Prius. You've got all kinds of pollution and wars and hunger. Population explosions in places where they can't handle any more population. I've spent time in the city of God in Rio de Janeiro. The world's largest slum. 1.275 million people living in 2.3 square miles. You can't even imagine the poverty that exists there. Diseases that are both curable. Look at this Zika virus. It's nuts. People are freaking out. Imagine somebody comes on the scene and says, eh, I can fix that. And actually start doing it. People will be going, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. I'm joining up right now. You see, the, the world really is looking for this type of a ruler already. Notice the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. His mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and his great authority. Exact same description as Daniel chapter 7. The lion, the Babylonians, the bear, the meat of Persians, the leopards, the Grecian Empire... And, and you can see it's so interesting when you look at the details that are here. There was a time that, that Greece ruled the entire world, the entire world, from Greece to India. And, and when the conquest was done, at age 32, Alexander the Great, lying on his, what would ultimately be his deathbed, was bemoaning the fact that there was no more world to conquer. And of course, we now know that that wasn't true. Those are true world powers. And yet there will be one that will come that will be more powerful than the Grecian Empire. The Roman legions were noted for their ability to crush resistance with their iron heel. There will be one that will be greater. We look back through history as John does. You see uh, the leopard first. You look back and Daniel sees the lion. That's because he's looking forward and John's looking back. And so they see exactly the animal that they should see from their perspective ends. That's how accurate your Bible is. The Antichrist is going to be empowered as he enters the temple. 
Remember, we've, we've seen Satan enter somebody before. He did so there in Luke 22. Satan entered Judas. Literally overtook Judas. Entered him. Uh, that's what happened. How else could you have been named amongst the apostles, the disciples, and then turn on the Lord Jesus with a kiss? And so the Antichrist will rise up. You're going to see a phony resurrection. It's interesting because we, we actually see a little bit of this in Zechariah chapter 11. If you want to turn there in verse 3 here in Revelation 13, it says, And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. Notice it says, as if. He wasn't mortally wounded. It looked like he was mortally wounded. Probably television, the internet. Uh, you, it'll, it'll clearly look like he's dead. And his deadly wound was healed. And the world marveled. And I wouldn't be surprised if he lays around for three days and three nights and pops back up. He's going to look like a false messiah. As though he were slain. Be faking his death. The world's going to go, look, just, you know, that, that Jesus guy. And oh, by the way, those Christians aren't even here anymore. They all died of something. They, they kind of disappeared. Zechariah chapter 11, verse 15, it says this, And the Lord said to me, Next, take for yourself the implements of the foolish shepherd. And so we, we see this false picture. For indeed he will rise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who were cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those that are broken, nor feed those who will stand. He will eat the flesh of the fat. He'll tear the hooves to pieces. Woe to that worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword will be against his arm and against his right eye, and his arm shall completely wither, and his right eye shall be totally blinded. And so there's a false shepherd uh, that's going to come on the scene, according to Zechariah. I, I believe it's the same guy. He's going to raise back up to life. And all this time, people are going to be worshiping this guy, worshiping the beast. They're going to be going, man, they can't even kill him. He's got a mortal wound and he comes back to life. Can you imagine? You remember when President Reagan was shot? Everybody's praying for him to get well, and we actually weren't told exactly how serious it was. Whether you know it or not, he almost died. He was very close to, to, to killing him. And then when he, when he came back on, you know, out of the operating room and he's going to live, you know, people are going, oh, yeah, he's just tough as nails. And now, now imagine that this guy has a mortal wound in his head. President Reagan was shot in, basically in his, in his stomach, in his abdomen. Imagine somebody recovering from a gunshot wound to the head, a sword chop to the face. All of a sudden, it's like, well, he's fine now. People are going to be going, there's something different about this guy. They're going to be worshiping him. He's going to speak blasphemous things, it says there in verse 4. He, he begins to just speak forth these things. Arnold Toynbee, English historian, back in 1953, speaking about how people just are, are looking to worship. Look at our sports figures, actors and actresses, people with cash, you know, the Bill Gates worshipers. 
Wander around, you know, these guys are awesome. I want to be like them. Arnold Toynbee said this. He said, by forcing on mankind more and more lethal weapons, and at the same time making the world more and more interdependent economically, technology has brought mankind to such a degree of distress that we're ripe for the defying of a new Caesar who might succeed in bringing the world unity and peace. Boy, howdy. Anybody else get, you, know, you look at your smartphone, you want to slap that puppy against a wall? It's like, I don't want to read. If I see Donald Trump's one more face, his face, one more time, it's like, boom. And now you have somebody, even death can't hold them down. They're a pretty popular person. Maybe this is the maybe this is the real deal. Because remember, the world's rejected the Prince of Peace. Verse five says he's given the mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and authority for those forty-two months. And we've looked at that time period. Daniel chapter eleven reminds us of that. A lawless one there in Second Thessalonians chapter two. He's going to talk big. He's going to talk tough, and he's going to be able to put up. He's going to be able to do what it is that he says he can do. And all of a sudden the world's going to go, yeah, that's our new president, president of the world. Verse 6, he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. He's even angry at the fact that the, the people that we know as a church, us, or in heaven, yeah, those Christians, you remember when they were here? You remember the kind of hell they unleashed on earth? You remember those crusades? You remember all the drama from the year 2016? You remember when they were fighting against abortion and gay marriage? You remember how bad that was? The Antichrist is going to go, they're gone. Good riddance. Isn't the world a better place for all of them being gone? Blasphemous things. It's interesting here uh, that, that that worship that's directed as great things is, is the equivalent to the Hebrew word shakah, proskaneo in the in the Greek, they're, they're going to be worshiping this guy. It's going to be viewed as, as God, in essence. Which saints are these that are being spoken of here? It was granted to him, the Antichrist, to make war with the saints, to overcome them, and all authority was given over every tribe and tongue and nation. There are three groups in your Bible that are called saints. They're actually easy to spot. One is us, the church. Those who name the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Those who put their faith, trust, and hope in Christ, who have believed in the only begotten Son of God, we are saints. I know we may not look like it, but we're saints. We're out of here. For God has not appointed us unto wrath, but unto salvation. So we're in heaven we haven't been mentioned in the book of Revelation since chapter 4, by the way. Should tell you something. All this stuff's going on. There's no church anywhere to be found. 
The second group is those that are saved during the tribulation, but they're martyred. And so they're with us in heaven. So as I said, who can this be? It's none other than the Jewish believers that are saved during the tribulation. Those ones that are being protected, they're now being shattered under the wings of God. They're, they're, they're sitting there waiting for that, that last moment. They have proved, the, and because the enemy is going to overcome them. They're, they're not in the church yet. They haven't been taken home to heaven. God leaves them here during that last battle uh, for the totality of earth, and, and they are now going to be the target of the enemy. There will be believers here, and those believers are going to be able to have children. We're going to see that there will be one last go that the enemy gets at the entire world at the end of the book of Revelation. And, and those believers will have been here for that thousand-year reign of Christ. They will have children. Those children will be born. They're going to have a free will still, because when we get to heaven, we're all fixed. Amen? I can't wait until I don't have a free will anymore. Because somehow my free will chooses things, just exactly as Paul said, those things which I will to do, I do not do. And those things which I will to do, I don't. You know, who will deliver us from this body of death? Praise God, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. We're going to get fixed, finally. Can't wait until that day comes. You know, as we think on this and as we wrap this up tonight, it's, there's one choice. Look, you're in or out. Those who dwell on the earth will worship him. Those whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. The, the world's going to go, this guy's the answer. There are people that do that today to varying degrees. We, we talk about the spirit of the Antichrist in this world. Because there are things in this world that clearly are not of God. And people still do them and they follow them. But one day there's actually going to be a literal antichrist, a ruler is going to come to this world. And he's going to look like he's got the plan. And people are going to worship him. Remember, and I want you to draw attention to this, because I, I have a personal belief and I think I can prove it to you rather easily, that your names start in the book of life. They're there from the beginning. That's why children who haven't had an opportunity, as David said about his own son, born in sin, by the way, between he and Bathsheba, he said, he will not come to me, but I will one day go to him. In other words, understanding that that child dying before it ever had an opportunity to even know the truth, would be with the Lord. And so back in chapter 3, you might remember, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my Holy Father. I, I believe you start in and you get blotted out. And you get blotted out for one reason, and that's not believing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only reason. So the choice is ours. You can either be in or out. And so when we think about that, I have to make a conscious decision. Because to re reject Christ is to say, hey, take my name out. I don't want to go to heaven. You know why I say that? Second Peter 3, 9. For God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of repentance. He's not slack concerning his promise. His promise is he actually loves all of us. 
For God so loved, and we're going to see this this weekend as we, as we begin chapter 3 in Philippians. For God so loved the world, the cosmon, not cosmos, the root's the same. It means the entire world, but it means all the people. For God so loved all the people on this earth that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but would have everlasting life. So the opportunity is available for anyone and everyone. There's no such thing as someone who can't be saved. There isn't a person who was born to be damned. You start in and you have to be blotted out. Don't let that be you. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, it's simple. We're going to bring the worship team back out, the pastors forward. That's why he says, anyone who has ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity will go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. You have to have faith in Jesus Christ to be a saint. There's no other way. There's no other name under heaven whereby men may be saved. He is, in fact, the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. So simply by believing that book of life that the Lord has known every single person that's ever been born, your name's in it. He wants it to stay there. Trust him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. God, we pray that as we think on these things, and we look at the world around us, Lord, as we see these things come to pass, as the time draws near, God, would you give us strength to live our conviction as believers in you, Jesus. Lord, help us to enter that mission field outside these doors boldly. Lord, to proclaim your truth, you are the reason uh, for life. You want all men to be saved. You want all to come and make that profession of faith. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless us and strengthen us, that you'd call us, Lord, your children, that you'd enable us, Lord, to live lives that are pleasing to you. Pray if there's anyone here tonight that's heard these words, God, and they wonder whether they're a saint or not. Simple. All we need to do is invite you in and begin to live our lives with you as Lord. Ask you to forgive us of our sin, and you will, because your word declares it. And so, God, we bless you. Pray that you would now send us out of this place with joy and lead us with peace. Lord, we realize the mountains, the hills will rejoice in singing uh, because you do, in fact, love this world. You sent Jesus to prove it. So we bless you. We praise you. We ask all this in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Amen.